the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome to the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Before we get started today, we would so appreciate it if you would subscribe, rate, and comment on the show. Today, we're talking about the spatial web, immersive branding, and so much more with our wonderful guest, Linda Ricci. Linda is a consultant and advisor with Decahedralist Consulting and a TEDx speaker on immersive tech. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. I'm impressed you got decahedralist correct. Apparently that's been difficult. I I practiced. (laughs) (laughs) You did. (laughs) We are so excited to have you on the show with us today. Linda, if you wouldn't mind explaining what immersive branding is to people who may not know what that is. For me, what immersive branding means is experiential branding. What does it mean to experience the brand? And what does it feel like to have a relationship with the brand that it's interactional, not just the brand is fed to me. Linda, I just watched um, your TED talk about uh, immersive tech and grassroots movements. Give us a little bit of background about your journey career-wise and how you got into the immersive space. I have been drawn to emerging technologies and how people use them. So it's not so much about the technology. I'm not an engineer. Um, I don't turn it over to take it apart to see how it works. I'm more interested in how humans adopt it and how humans play with it and how it then impacts on how they interact and do things with each other. And then in turn, the technologies are developed even further. I find that fascinating. Years ago, I graduated with an MBA in a very traditional, more traditional time than now. And I was lucky because I had ended up at a large um, Fortune 200 company in in Europe in a manufacturing company. And what they did was they noticed that this new emerging technology called digital printing was impacting on their markets. And they hired me to head up a new group that was looking at the impact that was going to have on them because they're market leaders. And um, and they come up with new products, new markets, and all these things that they had to do to stay competitive. And that kind of kicked it off. Uh, roughly the same time, I actually did write my grad school application on um, virtual reality. And uh, I wrote about future commu- commercial uses for virtual reality. Now, I don't remember how I knew about it back then, but I remember being completely intrigued because not only, you know, I'm a business person, but I'm also an artist in my free time. And I always have been, and I've always been interested in digital art. So the concept of being able to immerse yourself in a complete experience in a different world. And I was playing with ideas about like how you could change gravity and how would that affect how things ha- worked and change the laws of physics. So I've been in, mentally involved with VR and now AR forever. My career is focused on helping companies in, in industries with emerging tech and what the impact is, but virtual reality and augmented reality are starting to finally become real. So I have been focusing on where that's going. And I think it's an amazingly creative and interesting time. It's the wild west still, um, like the early days of the internet were. And I was there for that too. So I'm intrigued by all the opportunities. I'm amazed at how much activity there is. And I think honestly, the coronavirus thing is gonna give it a kick up its butt too, um, in terms of adoption. 
Agree. So many of us are, are having to make do with working virtually, and it's giving us all pause to realize what an opportunity and what a need there is for yeah. tech and for VR. Yeah. So I've got a question you have mentioned. You really didn't know how you had heard about it. So this is what, like Don't. late 80s? It was like, 89. It was 89. <laughs> so VR, I, I'm going to write a paper on this. I was going to ask, like, what fueled that curiosity and interest? Obviously, you said you're an artist and the concept of being immersed in a world where you can get lost in it is amazing. But so this is just something that you had maybe potentially read about. And back in 89, I mean, VR was really being used for like, you know, high, highly classified government thing in NASA, right? But it wasn't a very mainstream thing. No, I, mean, I don't even think all. For, for gaming. So, I mean, it's no, very intriguing it to me that you were just like, I don't VR. know. I, I, I have been reading science fiction since I was born. Uh, my dad had an extensive collection of mid-century science fiction books. And I started reading those things when I was probably about eight or nine years old. I mean, I, I've always loved science fiction. And so I think the mindset has always been there, the exploration, the, the immersion in something else, and then looking at, you know, science-based possibilities for what the future can be. So that's why I like science fiction. I, I want it to be based in the laws of physics and reality, but then explore all the things that can happen. I'm very frustrated at how long it's taken for things to actually become real. Right. You know, I'm right. living in the future for a long time. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Well, so yeah. I work for a company that creates VR and AR um, content uh, okay. for um, enterprise clients. It's been such a gaming solution for so long yeah. that now we're really starting to see amazing use cases for it in like real world um, yeah. adaptation. So, you yeah. know, whether it be training or um, empathy or yeah, I love that. Taking, taking people places in which they can't physically go. I love um, it. So yeah. And, yeah. For the first time in, in history, you can actually walk in someone else's shoes. I can experience what it's like to be a man. And I want to know what that's like, because life is completely different. People treat you differently. The interactions you have are different. And that counts for so many other you know, types of experiences. The opportunity to experience as someone else is a really, for training purposes, um, is fascinating. I would love to see a simulated experience where it's actually interactional. And you know, AI will slowly get us there where it's, it's natural language, it's interaction with things that can interact with you in a natural basis. And there's been videos and all that, but this is the opportunity to actually do it. And I think that's fantastic. So for training purposes, fantastic. Empathy purposes, fantastic. Healthcare, amazing. I think it brings, it brings things to life. Because I mean, we, you know, humans have evolved being experiential creatures in 3D. And you can mentally put yourself in somebody else's shoes or understand, but actually experiencing it is completely different something that will never get old for me is seeing somebody in a headset for the first time experiencing something yeah, like that. Right. It's amazing. You can talk about it a lot, yeah. but until you're in it, you don't realize the sense yeah. of presence you have yeah. of being in that place at that yeah. time. And how it opens up whole worlds to people that we might not ever otherwise have the opportunity to experience. And that is just incredibly powerful. I think that the opportunities to connections for real people, yes, it's a digital representation, but you really feel like you're standing next to somebody and how easily humans actually do that. We feel like we're there with this person. So the opportunity for connections, like I talked about in my TEDx thing, is huge. You, you're, you're, you know, it, and, and people who haven't tried it, to your point, and haven't done it are like, oh, it's digital. It's not the same as real. I've heard that so many times that I'm like, have you ever put on a headset? Because when you put mm -hmm. it on, you get it. 
Right. You know, Absolutely. and it's interesting because so many people view these types of technologies as maybe things that distance us. I know. Um, so I love talking about how it's going to bring us together and right. how it really can establish that connection even more, that human connection, especially during times like these that we're living right now. Um, and, you know, I, we also talk about how this is the year that if companies aren't already strategizing and adopting, then they're going to be way behind the curve. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. it's just, with, with what everybody's going through right now, it's a sea change in how yeah. we work and how we connect. And the realization that you can be in a virtual meeting with somebody across the world that you might not otherwise ever have the opportunity to collaborate with is incredibly yeah. powerful. And what we need to do is leverage this time and the technology that's available to us and take it to the next level moving forward. The concept of the spatial web is something that we'd like to get into with you um, to help people sort of understand what the next wave of the internet is going to look like. Can you kind of talk about that and define that for us? I think the next wave of the internet, if you want to call it that, is, is that right now we interact kind of unnaturally through screens and keyboards and, and mouse. And the next version of that is going to be talking and it's going to be everywhere. So we're going to be swimming in it as opposed to having to go to a destination to interact with it. And that's why it's spatial. It's because it's part of your environment. You're interacting with it. So there's a lot of work um, being done on interfaces. That's one aspect of it, but also just naturally moving through your day and having it be part of everything you experience and not having to go to a dedicated screen to do it. Now is our phones or our TVs or our computers and those things are merging, but it's like breathing. I heard a quote once and I, and I love it. Technology is only technology until it becomes uh, natural and we're swimming in it. And then it's just there and it's just natural for us. And I think, you know, if you watch the adoption of phones where nobody can let go of that damn thing or if you're staring at it all the time, you know, that has become so natural for us. You feel kind of naked without it but we're still interacting through that phone. So the spatial experience is going to be, as we walk through our day, um, augmented reality is, is, is going to emerge whenever we need it on demand, when we want it, it's going to concierge and show up when we want it, even though we, we didn't necessarily call for it. So that's one aspect of it. And then the interaction being more natural and not so much dedicated to, I'm going to this now. That for me is what spatial 3D computing means. So how will people access that technology. You want to talk a little bit about like glasses or head-mounted devices? I think the glasses will be a nice short-term step if they can get it right. Um, you're still wearing something on your face, but they're still including your vision. I mean, this is just me. I'm an inordinately visual person. Like, I find that distracting. But if I were walking down the street and I didn't know whether I wanted to go to that bakery, do I go left or right? And I just said left or right, and it gave me an arrow. Like that's a, that's an, a simpler example of how things could help. I mean, there's a lot of integration that needs to happen between, well, I guess our social media to one extent, but also, you know, information on location, information on geography, information on you know, everything that now is currently just dis is, is fragmented. So Yelp, we go for, for recommendations. We go to Google Maps for directions. We go to our social feed for our commentary or reviews or questions. Um, like all these things are now fragmented and we have to go to each separately. I think the interaction will be, Initially, glasses would be nice to have it as contact lenses, which I know there are some companies actually working on that. But as soon as it becomes seamless is when it becomes invisible and it just becomes part of the, I keep saying the, the water we swim in, that's what the digital is going to become. And it's there on demand. I think that's more importantly, it's on demand. And also it reaches out when it knows we need something. 
So anticipating, and that's the AI part. Um, it's like a digital concierge of our day. Like it knows when we want something, it knows our preferences, it can manage that for us, help us. So for me, that's what it will be. I'm not even going to say far as to say chips and implants because that's all out there. But the contact lenses. Um, yeah. You know. I agree with you. I mean, intuitive technology is definitely where it's at, where mm-hmm. you remove any type of barrier to entry, uh, yeah. where it becomes very natural and it becomes a part of you. Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about the contact lenses and we know that that's in the works. Um, and I, when you said chips, I'm thinking of the Black Mirror, like the very first Black yeah. Mirror episode where we have I, chips uh, behind our ear. I cursed that show because they had some amazing uh, people advising them. Obviously, they were right on on just about everything. I mean, I, I personally am not happy that they took the Frankenstein approach to technology. Most of it is negative, And I don't think that's necessarily true. But I think they have some amazing advisors. But they know everything I say sounds like it's a Black Mirror episode, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> that was not, not the case. <laughs> it's funny because when we start talking about what this looks like, the spatial web in the future, you know, initially, if this was, you know, 15 years ago, you would think yeah. of wired technology, right? So you'd have right. sensors around your house or your smart yeah. devices would be connected in your house. But then again, if you leave the house, how does that go with you? Mm-hmm. So like when you get into your car and it picks up there, but you have these intermittent moments where you're, you're right. There has to be integration, interconnectivity with all of the technology that we use seamlessly. Right. And there's privacy yeah. issues with that. Yeah, exactly. That's the big Absolutely. issue. And there's also Wall Garden. I mean, these companies, how do you make money when all information is shared? I mean, the Wall Gardens is currently how a lot of companies make their money. And I think that's one of the barriers to VR and AR right now. Um, you know, everybody has to download a proprietary AR app for their AR experience. It kind of doesn't make sense. Ease, ease, ease of adoption is what drives that. And people are going to give up their privacy because they want the stuff, the ease of it. I mean, they're already doing it in yeah. so many ways, not saying it's a good thing, but no. I mean, we do it with our phones. We do it Constantly. because again, it's just easy. And I, I am like so guilty of it. I'm like, well, everyone else is doing it. It can't be that bad. I know. But we want to focus on tech for good. And the technology yeah, itself is good. It's just Agreed. the humans <laughs> that are behind the technology, right? It's just a tool. Can a knife be used to, to put on butter on your toast or can it be used to kill somebody? It's a tool. Well, and it's it's used in service of people and that's what we want it always to be. However, yeah. you know, as convenience goes up, security goes down. Mm-hmm. And is that that's a real thing that we need people to understand and to prepare for and to be vigilant about. You've spoken a couple of times about um, science fiction. And I know Vanessa and I have said a few times in conversations, we feel like maybe science fiction really does sort of predict the future in a lot of ways. Do you feel that way? I mean, where do, where do you see that? I think good science fiction looks at the data and extrapolates it using some sort of, I call it vector analysis, and extrapolates where it's going to be based on realistic, this is what's happening, this is happening, this is where they merge. I think Arthur C. Clarke was my favorite author. I'm old school sci-fi. Um, I thought was is right on. I mean, and he was an engineer and he predicted, you know, everything from satellites around the US, you know, the worlds, the globe to, you know, a network of communications. That is good science fiction, I think. They lose me around 1973 when it becomes dystopian because I don't want to be negative. I like the possibilities of it. And I understand there's negative possibilities too, but the cyberpunk stuff really kind of, it's so negative, a lot of it. I think it's also, to Sue's point, is acknowledging that we have these issues, whether it be security or whether it could be something a lot more detrimental to people's lives, et cetera. Um, But to know that the issue is there, that we need people 
that are educated and that have careers in the future to study those issues and to help come up with solutions to those issues. Yeah. And the IEEE and there's other organizations that are, that are trying to, to stay in front. And I think there's plenty of activity trying to. Um, So, you know, let's stay positive about it. And also just acknowledge that the world changes. Every generation is a different change, right? So I can't keep expecting my 10 year old nephew to be as concerned about privacy as maybe I am because he's going to grow up with it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just a, a shift in reality that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't, you can't keep it the way it was because things change. Yeah. You um, know, it's interesting. My um, daughter, who's a junior at UNC Chapel Hill, she's taking classes right now in ethics and AI and yeah. uploading. And, and w- at what point does identity change if yeah, uh, every cell in your brain is uploaded to a digital copy of you? So the, the good thing is, even though some of these things sound really out there and scary, this next generation is being taught to think about it and look at Good. the ethics and really analyze uh, the human impact of all of that and keeping humans out in front. So I think that's Good. that's the hopeful news in all that. I think we just need to pay attention to it. Definitely. So on that note, talk mm-hmm. about virtual influencers because yeah. that's pretty interesting. That's and pretty wild, bizarre. isn't it? <laughs> the changing definition of what is human. Fascinating. We are moving from influencers being people who attract a lot of attention and move markets because they have a lot of people to follow them and they have tastemakers or they're famous or for whatever reasons um, to being able to control that uh, with digital influencers. So you create a virtual person um, like Lil Michaela is a famous one and there's a couple others too. And they are the ones that are, you know, wearing Versace and like all that influencer stuff. And I, I, I wonder um, if the early days were still very early days of this, it's not more of a, interesting gimmick then like we'll see you know the staying power i think ultimately again as more people get involved with the spatial web and, and immersive experiences that are digital they can become influenced because we'll be giving digital representations of humans the same respect and as that happens they can become influencers the good thing about them for brands is that they can control them there's not going to have any like wild blowouts and some paparazzi catches them doing something and that ruins your brand equity well you can control them and if you want them to have a blowout in the paparazzi you know you can manufacture that if it works for your brand but from a brand perspective it's interesting because you can control what that influencer is saying and doing but i think as people increasingly accept these digital representations as the face of something um, is going to be something that brands use to interact with and to use as influencers. And people will see them as legit. Lips Incorporated just launched a digital influencer division. L- literally, they're going to have digital influencers that you can hire as your brand. And I find that fascinating. There's an agency for digital influencers, like a modeling agency. I'm trying to um, wrap my brain around this. <laughs> I know, and I'm, I'm thinking of it because... Yes, you're right. You know, I can create an avatar of myself or whatever image I want if I'm going to enter a virtual environment. These virtual influencers are a little different in the aspect that, you know, a brand can create almost like a mascot, if you will. I mean, I have to think of it in that way. It's a mascot for their brand and they can control it, you know, as the puppeteer, right? What right. they do, what they don't do, good or bad publicity, however you want to talk about yeah. it. Gain weight, lose weight. Publicity, yeah. publicity, right? <laughs> um, so 
do we look at it as like no harm, no foul? It's kind of like, you know, it could be even a, a cartoon, an animation that, um, you know, right. brand associates themselves with. And this one just happens to look like a human and act like a human. Sort of. I mean, artificial intelligence is going to be driving some of this. So there's interaction. But I also think, you know, as consumers, we've gotten used to. So initially, advertising was they, they advertised to you. It was a message. They hope it resonated. That moved to interacting with the digital. So I'm on Facebook and you have a, you know, a brand page and I want to interact with that brand. And we talk to other people on that page or we reach out to you and we're really unhappy with something you've done. We let you know, like we have as consumers taken back a lot of power in terms of feeling like we have the right to control our relationship with that brand. So I think that the 3D stuff, the immersive, the, the artificial cameras is the next generation of that where it is literally experiencing the brand. So does this person talk the way I expect that brand to talk? Does it respond to me and interact with me in the way that I expect the brand to interact with me? Are there form like IBM is never going to have a little Kayla, right? But like a young hit brand might want somebody that can be their digital ambassador and actually talk and interact with people. To me, restaurant branding has been immersive branding, right? Like you down to the menus, down to the color of the seats and the fabric they pick, like they pick the experience they want to have. And this is sort of the digital version of that, which is how am I going to interact with this brand? And interaction means an artificial human. Maybe I'm a huge fan of Nike, like they have, or Apple, right? these, these, these mega brands. And I want to hang out with my Apple brand. And I want to know what that feels like. And, and this is like what the digital humans can be. They can actually be fueled by artificial intelligence to have natural, and we're not there yet, but natural language you know, interaction, they can be taught and learn to interact with me in a way that feels right for me and the brand. And it's a way for brands to stay relevant because the the whole, this is our brand and this is what we stand for is, is being wiped out with, with the interaction level of humans and Facebook and social media. And we have the power now and, and brands have always struggled with how do I then stay a brand? What does brand mean in this world? So I think digital humans are one aspect of that. So having them be influencers is another way of like the fandom of, you know, having a relationship with this brand and actually having it be a relationship. Hey everybody, Sam McLean here from Inphase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. I, I love having this conversation because it, it, it challenges me to, to think further as well, because as we talk about human connection a lot, right? So I'm thinking, you know, you get a celebrity that's relatable to your brand, maybe more diligent um, research before you commit to engaging and partnering with somebody. That person, whether it be an athlete or a, a movie star or a politician, whomever it may be, um, they've established credibility as being, you know, a, a human person that have like a, a strong following. And that's why you've chosen this person for your brand. Mm-hmm. Um, being a human versus a virtual influencer, I mean, does that hold more weight because of that? being a person I don't know I think I think the definition of what is real is 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 morphing I think the lines are blurring and I think you know we've increasingly and also have become kind of narcissistic we want it the way we want it how we want it and we want them to reflect what we want so 
I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's an issue of trust, isn't it? And as people increasingly trust interacting with digital world, they're going to increasingly be like, yeah, person, digital, whatever. But the idea of an influencer means that they are going to have influence over somebody. Mm -hmm. And really, it's not a person, it's a brand, right? And it's so interesting to me because we talk about how important authenticity is these yeah. days and everybody wants authenticity, but there's no authenticity in creating an artificial human who truly reflects the motivations of the brand. And then you couple that with the audience who's on social media, which is primarily a very young, impressionable audience. And we already hear about real influencers, young women who change the way they look and just have this picture perfect life that's not real. And how does yeah, that affect real young women who are following that influencer? Yeah. And, and I think there is cause for concern because it's a brand that's got a very specific agenda, right? Always. So what are your thoughts about that? I agree. I think that People will become increasingly comfortable with seeing a digital interaction as the same as human. And that they, the things that you're saying, authenticity yourself have to be real. Like brands still have to project authenticity even without digital avatars. Well, I don't know if authenticity is necessarily relegated to only humans. I'm, I'm saying I think the feeling and the interaction you have with a brand is what makes it authentic. And, you know, the fandom around some of the brands is huge, like an Apple. Apple fandom like is there a way to create an experience and an interaction with apple that is 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 authentic to how the user expects them to be and then to take it a step further you know with the artificial intelligence driving the interaction and it can learn on an individual basis what your interaction with them is what is authentic for you it can actually learn how you want to experience that brand and within the parameters of what the brand is it can tailor that interaction to you and remember it so that you don't have to, it, it's a training and learning experience. I think that authenticity is not necessarily in the delivery mechanism or the interaction, it's in the messaging that is done while you're there. So it would be really off-brand for any interaction with Apple at any touch point to have something that is wildly, tastelessly gauche and over-designed, right? That would just feel completely inauthentic to its users. So that's what I'm talking about. I think it mm -hmm. can be inter in, in authentic. It's just the interaction is a is is it it's, it's an interaction versus an experience. You touched on something earlier, Linda, too, that I think is essential here, right? It, generations experience things so differently. Yes. So yes. The next generation. I'm not even talking about the people right now that are in middle school. I'm talking about the people right now that are in kindergarten and elementary yeah. school. Those yeah. are the people that might look at this a little differently um, and have a different definition of authenticity because that of was course. my question too when you jumped in was like, how is that authentic? You know, how does having a virtual influencer um, catering to you specifically and right. talking to me in the way that I want to be talked to and then talking right. to Sue and Linda the way they want to be talked to, how is right. that authentic? Right. But you're yeah. saying that it's more so because the messaging itself. Right. And also, I think I think we've become very self-centered. Right. My little nephew, when he was two, he's never had to have a TV show that wasn't scheduled at a certain time. He's never had to watch an episode he didn't want to watch because it was on at that time. He's never had to not have something on demand. So that egocentricity, and I've been watching to see how that develops, because we have a generation of that, right? He's now 10, and I'm watching to see like his lack of patience with not having something the way he wants it. So is, you know, authenticity to me is quite different than it'll be for him, for him because for him, authentic will be on his terms, right? 
and and he's never had to compromise. So with brands targeting messages exactly to you, does that make that self-centeredness even greater? Micro-targeting has been, you know, the dream for so long. And it's gone from mass marketing to segment marketing to, you know, interaction with digital. And I think, you know, the natural progression is you get what you want. I think Bitmoji TV is perfect. And they're in Japanese, they're like Japanese anime. They're hilarious. And your avatar that you created on Snap is in the movie. So you're watching yourself interact with this Japanese anime. It's oh my hysterical. God, I, have, I have never heard of that. I, I think it's hysterical. And it's really, it, I, I, the first time I watched my little, you know, avatar and and she's in there interacting in Japanese with this guy and they're fighting aliens together. But I mean, it caters perfectly to that trend. It's more about us than it's ever been. And we haven't had to choose between us and something else. And so you can actually watch yourself in TV. I totally think that this is going to be the future of entertainment. Or you can pick, you You don't like George Clooney. You can get, you know, Jason Momoa. You could like put him in the, in the movie instead, you know, between photogrammetry where they can, you know, digitize themselves. And it, it, it put them right in the movies. And I've seen companies that are actually working on stuff like that. Wow. So I know it exists. But I mean, being able to select your own experience is what's going to drive all this, drive adoption for it, and drive success of it. And it will quintessentially change how so many industries work. So I've got a question with that whole Hollywood <laughs> entertainment aspect of it, yeah. with, the, with the deep fake situation. Oh, my. Right. Yes. Like, yeah. I just saw an app the other day. I sent it to Sue. I'm like, it's happening. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, no. Where you can actually like become basically you're a celebrity. So it's a mix of your face and whatever celebrity you want. So are you saying too that at some point we're going to be able to say, you know, George Clooney, forget that. I want to see myself sure. with pieces of the, those celebrities or whatever Absolutely. and have, have your deep fake in the movie. So I already saw that. I saw a demo, but it is exactly that. It is, it is immediate motion capture. Well, they, you, and then through AI, they have uh, like singing in the rain is the demo I saw. And they will on the fly match you, your avatar to the motion in, in that they've extrapolated 3D motion from a 2D screen and literally have your avatar dancing along to it's, it's, it's matching motion and, and the deep fake. But I mean, you know, that was a quick demo. Radical is the name of the company. Uh, and and it, I was blown away because, I mean, this is near instant real time, you know, swapping out info that you don't like. And then the next step to that is why use a live actor who ages when you can create a, an avatar actor, just like a digital influencer, and use them wherever you want. I mean, if I were an actor, I'd be having my parents digitize and make sure I had the rights to that because all of this is, you know, we're seeing that this is happening. So again, part of the on-demand world where you can do whatever you want. This is so fascinating because I'm seeing how our technology really is just a mirror, maybe a black mirror, I don't know, but how it reflects us. Because on the one hand, you have VR that can take you to a Syrian refugee camp and that can really improve your empathy and give you empathy that you might never otherwise have had. On the other hand, we're creating this information ecosystem that reflects our preferences, what we want to see, what we want to hear, and how we want to consume it, which is the opposite of empathy. And so how do you reconcile those two? How, how will tech reconcile it? Or are we just going to sort of muddle through? <laughs> oh, man, I agree with you. And, and I think all technology is only adopted because it resonates with deeply with what it is to be human, right? I mean, it, our need to communicate, our need to connect, all of that. 
um, is primal and it drives everything. Um, you know, it comes down to, I hate to say it, money. Uh, I mean, a lot of companies, these things to do these things in development is expensive. So unfortunately, a lot of the companies that have the money to do things, they're going to be the ones that are developing stuff and they're going to own it. And, and I don't know if there's much we can do about that. I don't know. I, I don't want to sound negative, but the future is a little self-centered and a little data heavy and not owning our own data. Yeah. And I think it's going to be really important for us. And this is another thing we can talk about uh, to program our AI in such a way that it reflects diversity and it reflects all different kinds yeah. of people, because that's going to be key. Don't you think? Hard. I, I, I don't, I can't, I can play an AI practitioner on TV, but I'm not really one. So I can't answer that question with, you know, a hundred percent accuracy, perhaps. Um, I think I, from the bit I know about AI training, it takes a enormous amount of data of uh, standardizing that data so that it is understood is, is, is huge challenge. I think AI is, is fascinating. I mean, it's a learning technology. It's the, the dream uh, and it's the scary parts of the future. Um, and yeah, AI is, it'd be nice to reflect diversity. I mean, it, that's what it is. It just, it, the data that goes in is the data that comes out and also the learnings it gets from. But on the other hand, I find it fascinating that we had social media when, you know, when the internet and social media first launched, we were all like, oh, the dream of humankind to connect, we're going to learn so much. And, and then what did it degrade into? Everybody hurling insults at each other constantly and even more tribalism. So, you know, that's who we are as humans. I mean, uh, and there's good and there's bad, but, you know, yeah, I would love to see AI reflect the diversity of learning. Definitely. Well, Linda, is there anything else that you want to like take a deeper dive on that we've covered already? I find it fascinating that 10, 15 years ago when I, when Second Life was more popular, I was expecting everybody to go in there and develop really wild, creative alternatives, you know, avatar-like planets. There's all kinds of really creative, interesting things. And what I was astonished by is that most experiences I saw were they made a living room with a fireplace, two couches and a Picasso. I was astonished at how humans, when faced with the opportunity to create anything they wanted, defaulted to the, what they knew. And I am watching to see how that manifests itself with virtual reality, because we, again, have the opportunity to build complete new, creative, different exploratory things. And, you know, your home in Oculus, when you when you arrive, it's a fireplace, two couches. And I'm astonished at the need to recreate the real instead of exploring and adventuring more. That's something I've been watching for a long time. I, I find that amazing. I wonder if it's because people want to feel comfortable. I mean, what do you think that is? Do you think it's a, a sense of safety or the familiar is comfortable and that's what we default to? I don't know. The second life thing I thought was because they really are creating a second life. It's just a better version of what they got. Um, but um, <laughs> I I don't know. I, I mean, for me, VR, because I've started learning how to actually make VR as an artist now, I'm having fun with that. Like, I want to create really exploratory, odd, weird, out there things. For me, it's an opportunity to be exploratory. For a lot of people, it's actually recreating a safe space, I guess. And I think comfort comes to mind in my head. Like, yeah. that's mm -hmm. yeah. like just feeling comfortable in the space. And maybe, you know, depending on how long they're in the environment, they start out that way and then they become more creative. I'm hoping because it's, it's a tool for us to become to be bigger humans. We can do more. I didn't see as much of that with Second Life as I would have liked to. And that is the precursor to VR. That's fascinating. 
Well, yeah. and you have an artist's brain too. And yeah. I think um, that, and we've spoken with several women who have that sort of right brain creativity. I think that's definitely more the way I'm wired. I'm much more right brain than left brain. I don't I'm know, Vanessa, you may feel that way yeah. too. But I think that might play into it as well. You know, when you you look at something either in a really analytical way or you see the, the potential and the possibilities, but I'm with you. I think it's awesome to be able to do something you can't do in the real world. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking of it now too, from a content creator's viewpoint, potentially if I'm creating content, let's say for an enterprise client, and I want it to seem like a relatable sure, real absolutely. situation absolutely. that you want it to look like every day, right? You sure, want it to sure. look like your, your natural yeah. environment. And then I feel like gaming, because it's more entertainment-based, lends itself yeah. more to that creativity and the, mm -hmm. the different worlds and, you know, the possibilities are kind of endless in that regard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the two meet in the middle. Okay, are we ready for our lightning round? I hope so. Okay, so these are just fun questions to get us to know you a little bit more as a person. Um, and the first one is, finish this sentence. Women are? Amazing. What are three pieces of advice you'd give your younger self? It took me an inordinately long time to get over what I thought I should do versus what I really like. Mm. So ignore your basic training. I got into MIT. I didn't go. That was stupid. I've kicked myself ever since then. And stop analyzing. Just do more. Stop. I've rationalized myself into more situations that ended up not being right, where my gut was saying, this is wrong. And I was like, no, but it's the right thing to do. So always working on listening to my gut. What is your current favorite application of tech for good? I love the empathy ones that we talked about in the beginning. I love the idea of being able to experience life as somebody else. So the Unity one that won, the uh, was the runner-up in their Unity for Empathy contest, I believe it was called, uh, where you can experience what it's like to be a transgender person. I find that fascinating. Um, you know, those kinds of things are what appeal to me personally. What is it like to be somebody else? I find amazing. So those are my favorites. What issue do you most hope technology will help resolve in the future? Loneliness. Um, I just volunteered to adopt a grandparent because there's all these older people who are stuck in their homes now and have nobody to talk to. Um, so they have a volunteer situation, a, a charity in England set it up where you can regularly talk to a grandparent, somebody's grandparent. But I hope, I find it so sad that so many people end up their older years lonely and desperately lonely. And I love the idea that technology can connect us, that using virtual technology can connected people across the world and people need never be lonely again. What inspires you? Well, obviously out there creativity. <laughs> uh, I, I like that there's so much activity around empathy and, and connecting in, in the VR space. I, I don't know if I would have predicted that as a left brain consultant back when, when it was starting out, that there'd be so much of that. And there is. So I think it's great. There's so much going on in the VR for good space. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's very heartening to see because VR is not easy to make. So I think that's great. What do you wish to learn more about? Personally, I'd love to learn how to make VR um, from a modeler's point of view. I've been doing CAD for years. So just taking my 3D skills and 
doing some of that creative exploration that I was talking about and actually turning into a VR experience. Um, what would I learn professionally? I would love to get even more involved with clients and helping them explore what both AR and VR can do for them. Um, AR is more business focused for the most part, but I think that companies are still very nervous. Well, I would love to be more impactful um, on that level with companies and say, here's the opportunities, here's things, here's where you can use it. Here's where I can give you some ROI. There's not a lot of ROI stuff in the market yet. So that's a barrier, but like, there's so many things this technologist can do and the companies are still not, a lot of them are still not thinking about it. Well, I think it goes yeah. back to what we were saying earlier, uh, people defaulting yeah, to comfort. the comfortable. Absolutely. Right? To comfort. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's interesting because we talk about human connection so much and mm -hmm. I feel so many brands are doing it really well where they're connecting with their audience, where they're yeah. being really authentic, their engagement rates are up, but yeah. there are some corporate, you know, Fortune 500 companies that just yeah. do not get it yet. And they are stuck in the past with just mm -hmm. messaging and very rigid um, communication uh, strategies that yeah. th it, it really is mind boggling to me when they don't think outside the box. I get the fear, but you would hope that they could use some of that time they're having at home to, to right? look at some <laughs> new stuff that's out there and new ways to do things. Okay, Linda, describe the future in one word. The future is big, connected. Fill in the blank. <laughs> blank like a girl. Think. When I was growing up, I heard a lot of think like a man, be rational. I think that's the biggest load of uh, ever. Um, I think women are smart and creative and hardworking and have to work a lot harder than a lot of times. So I think think like a woman should be uh, a phrase. Linda, please uh, or share with us where people can find you. And for those who don't know, Linda co-authored a book that has been published. It's called The Handbook yes. of Research on the Global <laughs> Impacts of Immersive Media. We just kicked off and it is on IGI's publishing's website. Um, it is an amazing book and it is curated by an old timer in the industry who's an amazing woman, Jackie Morey. So she really gathered the best group of people to come up with all, all aspects of this. I, I was you know, more the branding business side there's people talking about the creative side and there's people talking about impact. I mean, it's amazing group of people. It is an amazing, yeah, yeah. collaboration of so many different perspectives yes. on this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely, yeah. That's what the intent was. It's quite a read. Well, congratulations to you on that honor. Where can people find you online? LindaRitchie.com, L-I-N-D-A-R-I-C-C-I.com. And then my company page is Decahedralist. It's Decahedral, like as in many-sided, IST, like mentalist, decahedral, IST.com. Um, I have a consulting firm where I help companies uh, navigate emerging technologies, what to do as a result. Uh, so that's that. But Linda Ritchie is more my blog and where I post what I'm doing. And then you're available on the social channels as well, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah, I'm on all of those. Decahedralist or Linda Ritchie is uh, on LinkedIn and Decahedralist on Twitter. And I have a, a uh, Decahedralist blog page on Facebook. Fantastic. Well, Linda, this has been so insightful. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. We had such Thank a you. great conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. You gave a us a lot fun. to think about. I hope that uh, you'll come back on our show again because I Absolutely. feel like we can take a lot more deep dives. <laughs> yes, we can. It's such an interesting subject and there's so many things to, to talk about. I agree with you, but thank you for having me. This has been really fun. 
Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women. 